Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be today as we make our way back to the Sermon on the Mount. But before we get there, I want to encourage you to pray. You know, we've had some of the folks in the church have had a rough past week. We had uh, Anita Scheffner, her mom died, and so Anita and extended family which you look at just about every other person in the room is probably related to Anita. But their grandmother and mother uh, died, and so when want to keep them in prayer. Anita asked between services that we'd be praying just for all of the logistics, you know, that need to take place when there's a death. And then Devin Weber, he's also been dealing with a sick mother. In fact, uh, they thought that she was going to die. She has uh, COVID. She has pneumonia. She's in the hospital down in Phoenix. And um, she, uh, they were able to call his brother. His brother's a, a, a doctor in uh, Africa. And so he was able to fly up. And then his sister lives there. So it wasn't looking good. And we were praying for them. And then last night, Devin called, and he said, um, you know, things might be looking up. And so just prayer for healing, you know. And so, Lord, we do pray for these. Of course, we pray for Anita, for the extended family, all of the family that are touched by this, that you'd comfort them, help those that are dealing with the logistics of kind of the last, you know, details of life. We pray for Devin and Christina and the boys and Derek and Jenna and families, Lord. We just, and of course for Sherry, we pray for a healing upon her body, Lord. We believe from the Bible that there is an appointed day, there's an appointed time for each one of us to die. And we just pray, Lord, if that time has not come, that she would be fully recovered, be able to enjoy her family and uh, life. But Lord, she knows you, and we have confident that, confidence that, you know, her faith is in you, and when she leaves this life, she's going to be ushered right into your presence. So it's, it's uh, really kind of hard to know how to pray. Your will be done, Lord. We pray your blessing upon our time in your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you... I was going to say, if you weren't here last week, no one was here last week. There were a few of us here last week, I think three or four of us in the building. And uh, we decided to do an early live stream rather than the, the 1030. If you tuned in at 1030 thinking you're going to watch the live stream, I think we ended up doing it at like 730 in the morning. So, um, But if you have not watched that, so you can go on our YouTube channel, uh, Cover Chapel Oak Harbor, and the teaching was entitled, It's Coming. And I would really strongly encourage you to listen to it if you have not listened to it. Because I think it is, I believe it's dealing with things that are pertinent to the days in which we're living. Because it is coming. Tribulation is coming. But rapture is coming as well. And uh, I was, you know, I, I listened to different people. Uh, every week, I kind of listen to the same group of people. I listen to Jan Markell, Olive Tree Ministries, um, wonderful. She always 
as a guest on there and always dealing with things pertaining to the last days. You might want to check that out. I listened to Tom Hughes. Tom was my mother's pastor before she went home to be with the Lord. Now she has the best pastor ever, you know. But um, Tom Hughes, Hope for Our Times. You might want to tune in and listen to him. He does uh, weekly, you know, throughout the week, different prophecy updates. It's basically just looking at things that are happening in the world and how those things may apply, can, you know, apply to the scenario of the last days. In fact, I encouraged the first service. On New Year's Eve, Tom did a, um, a live broadcast the first 30 minutes and if if you only have time to listen to the first 30 minutes I would encourage you to listen to it you might listen to it and say gosh what's he trying to do bum us out I'm not trying to bum anyone out I'm just trying to equip I'm trying to get us to be thinking you know in the right way but uh, he was on there for the first 30 minutes and then he had his guest via um, you know the web the internet um, Billy Crone out of Las Vegas. Is Billy out of Las Vegas? And Billy, you know, he's another one. There's a lot of really, really good kind of prophecy teachers out there. And I need to clarify something because I know we live in strange times. When I say prophecy teachers, it's not the type of stuff that you see on TBN or Christian television. It's not people pretending to be prophets and saying, thus says the Lord. There are people that are simply taking the scripture and seeing how current events can apply to the things that are happening. So I, I think it's important, especially in the days in which we are living. I think we're going to see some major changes in 2022, and I think that we might see them sooner rather than later. That said, picking up where we left off, I guess, two weeks ago now, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Chapter 7 of Matthew and verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Then he gives an illustration. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus, he seems to go back to what we saw in chapter 6. Remember chapter 6, Jesus was teaching on prayer. He told his disciples and us, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's applicable to you and us as well. He told us how to pray, how not to pray, how not to pray like the hypocrites, you know, how not to pray to be seen uh, by other people. We shouldn't do anything to impress other people. We should simply be humble before the Lord and, and simply living out our, you know, our faith in Christ and our day-to-day -day activities. It seems as if Jesus kind of goes back to that, that praying uh, type of theme. Because he says, ask and it will be given you. 
And I was looking at that between services. Now, I've already taught this teaching. There's a, a benefit in doing two teachings because when you mess up on the first one and you go back to your office and say, okay, Lord, how can I make a little bit more sense out of this? But I was looking at this, ask and it will be given to you. And I wrote down in my Bible, given what? And I wonder, is it salvation? Because surely that's true. If you ask for salvation, it will be given to you. You can't earn it. It will be given to you if you ask for it, sincerely, honestly. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. And then I ask the question, what will be open? The way of life? I would say, yes, the way of life will be open to you. You know, guys, it... It's so important that we're people of the word because there's a lot of confusion in the church today. And there's a lot of, you know, I dare say, there are a lot of unbelievers preaching and teaching from pulpits. They don't know the word of God. See, this is why there is this uh, lack when it comes to Bible prophecy, because there are pastors who have gone to seminary. When they go to seminary, they never touch on Bible prophecy. They never crack open the book of Revelation. They have no idea how to even approach these things, so they they don't. So the people that attend their churches um, are never being fed, never being exposed to these types of things, so that when these things are mentioned, the person thinks, these are strange things. But they're not strange things. They're biblical things. They're biblical things. They're things that we should know. And we know that we live in a, a day and age where there's a lot of confusion in the church. I mean, you go to one church and you might think, well, I'm saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. You might go to another church and say, I'm saved because I'm a part of this denomination and my name is on the roll. I'm a member of this church or this denomination or whatever it might be. There's so much confusion when it comes to that. But the Bible is clear that salvation comes by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus alone. Faith is found in Christ. So he says, knock and it will be opened. Seek and you will find. Knock. And it shall be open to you, for everyone who asks receives, and to him who seeks finds. And we see this progression, don't we? Because asking is one thing, but seeking is another thing. And knocking is, is even more. Jesus taught on the persistence or the importance of persistence, continued persistence in prayer. He taught in a number of places, but I think of Luke chapter 18. Remember the parable of the persistent widow? She comes, she wants justice, she comes to the judge. The judge won't hear her, he's just kind of putting her off. But because of her persistence, he finally gives her what she wants. In Luke chapter 11, we have the persistent neighbor. I have some visitors and I don't have any bread to give them. And so he goes to his neighbor's house, open up. I need some bread. And the neighbor says, we're in bed. We're done. The doors are closed. We're not, you know, no, go away, go away. And because of his persistence, he opened the door and he gave to him. In fact, let me read just two verses from those two references that I just gave. This is from Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that 
men always ought to pray and not lose heart. To pray and not lose heart. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. Ask, seek, knock, don't lose heart. There's some strange teachings in the church. Some may say, well, you know, you're only supposed to ask for something three times. Have you heard that? Based upon Paul, of course, Paul, he had that thorn in his flesh. Do you remember why he had the thorn in the flesh? Because he was caught up to the third heaven, and he saw things that no one could talk about. But everyone seems to talk about it today on Christian television, because everyone's going to heaven, and they're writing books about it, and doing videos on it. But when Paul experienced it, he could not even speak about it. And there was an instrument of the devil that was given to him, a thorn in the flesh. For what purpose? To keep him humble. Man, when you're exalted to the third heaven and you see things that no one else has seen, you could easily get a big head. But remember, he said, he mentioned that he prayed, he asked the Lord three times that this thorn might be removed from him. And then we get the impression that he just stopped praying for it. Why? Because he reached the number? He reached that number? No, it's because the Lord answered him. Do you remember what the answer was? The answer was, in essence, the thorn's not going away. The thorn's there to stay, but my grace is sufficient for you in this. That's why he stopped praying for the thorn in his flesh on the third time. Jesus encourages us to be persistent, to, to be consistent in our prayers Not to lose heart. In Luke chapter 11, again, just one verse or part of a verse, it says, Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The the many would be the loaves that the fellow was seeking. I want you to note, and of course I didn't read the scriptures, I just referred to them. If you're not familiar with them, you're going to want to go and check it out later. But In the parables, in the examples that Jesus gave, God is not the reluctant one. The parable is speaking of the importance of persistence, but God isn't even in. He's not even mentioned in the parable. The reluctant one was man. But also the persistent one was man. So he says, listen, God is not reluctant. God knows how to give good gifts to his children. It's uh, this idea of gifts, good gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. The word variation means fickleness or shadow of turning. Jesus is saying, in essence, you know, ask, seek, Knock. Don't lose heart. Keep doing it. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep asking of the Lord. Keep knocking. Don't lose heart. He's not reluctant. He'll answer. And many times I wonder if his answer is wait or not yet or simply no, (laughs) you know. Many times if it's not a yes, we figure we didn't get an answer to the prayer. We need to kind of rethink that whole thing, huh? Do you know that the word seek that's used here in this text is the same word seek 
that's used in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Remember that verse? But seek, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do you remember what that word seek means? It means worship. So the Lord says, ask, seek, worship. Don't stop. Be persistent. Keep worshiping him. Keep knocking. Too many people give up. Listen, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I probably will this next year, because I think that we're in store uh, for some major changes, and I'm going to be like a broken record. This is why we need to be people of the word of God. People are not in the word. They're not reading the word. They're not studying the word. They're not believing the word. Things are going to get bad and people are going to fall away. Based on what? Based upon the word of God. In the last days, some will fall away. And so we need to prepare ourselves. It's almost as if the Lord so graciously, because he tells us the things that are coming before they come, so that when they come, we might know that he is God. Well, what does that do? That gives us peace. Because if we're in him, if we're in Christ, okay, I'm in the Lord's hand. I could have peace even in the midst of this storm because he told me these things would be this way before they even came. So persistence and passion and prayer, I think it speaks of the heart behind our prayers. I wish I could say to you that when I pray, that all of my prayers are passionate, but they're not. Some of my prayers are so dispassionate. I mean, some of my prayers, you, you almost wonder, you're, I'm asking the Lord to care more about something than I even care about, you know. It's almost like just words that you just kind of, you know, th- throw up to heaven or whatever. But I'll tell you, I know that there have been times in my life when my prayers have been consistent and passionate. I had no one else to turn to. There were no one, there was no one that was going to answer. There was no one that was going to bring the help that's needed. Have you been there? You've been in a place where you're so absolutely desperate. The only one you could turn to is the Lord. Now, that might seem like a bad thing at the time because it's never a comfortable thing, but it's always a good thing. Because when, when he's the only one we could turn to is when we really see him move. This illustration that he gives of a father, though he's evil, if his son, if his child asked for bread, would not give him a rock. You know, on one hand, I guess the father could find a rock that looks like a loaf and say, here, son, I know you're hungry. You can't eat it. But it kind of looks like a loaf, doesn't it? I mean, this would be cruel. Or dad could have a fish. Here, son, here's a serpent. You know, some fish and serpents look, look similar. It's not that God is saying, listen, I'll give you something close. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to meet your need. So we're to be persistent. I think that's clear there in the text. Aren't you glad, though, for the times when maybe you were persistent, you were passionate, you were praying for something earnestly, and it did not come to pass? Aren't you glad that when you're asking for things in ignorance because you think this is, the, this is it, this is the best thing? We're, we're talking about that. You know, sometimes you, maybe you, you know, oh, we want this house. This is a dream house. Oh, we want this house so bad. Oh, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, it fell through. Oh, Lord, why did you disappoint us in this way? You know, 
I wanted that job so bad. Oh, oh, I'm sure I'm, sure I'm going to get that job. Oh, you didn't get it? Oh, no, Lord, why are you doing this? And then as time goes on, you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we didn't get that. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't get that job. I had no idea that that was soon coming to that job, and I would have been locked into that thing. Thank you, Lord. It's uncomfortable, but could you imagine, you know, that, Lord, this is, he's the one. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Let, let him, he's the one. I know he's the one. And in time, you realize he's not the one. He's a dog. Thank you, Lord, you know. So then, verse 12, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Do you guys know what this is referred to? Now, of course, the Bible doesn't call us this, but this is called the golden rule. So the golden rule, do to others as you'd have them do unto you. This is really a good principle. It was a biblical principle, so of course it's a good principle. So, So Jesus is saying, listen, since your father, since your father is the one who makes his son, not S-O-N, but S-U-N, who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and on the unjust, since that's your father, I want you to be the same way. Well, how do we apply that? I want you to be kind to people. By the way, people are scared. People need some kindness. People need some comfort. People need comforting words. And you have them. You're equipped with them. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. And we need to, we need to be faithful to share the hope of Christ because I'm telling you, he is the only one who will rescue us. He is the only one. If you're hoping in anything else, you're hoping in a vapor, something that's not there. So then he goes on, look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult or confined is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Verses like this, we have two portions of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount that are just Difficult. I mean, they're, they're, they're scriptures, if you read them and you're serious about reading them, you kind of stop and you catch your breath a little bit and you, you just kind of camp on, on this and then what the next is next week, you know, verses 21 through 23, where you just begin to ponder these things. These statements are so absolute from the Lord. He's giving us instruction. He says, I want you to enter, but you must enter through the narrow gate. Well, we, (laughs) again, we live in a time where we hear things like all roads lead to God. Don't we? All roads lead to God. I was telling the first service, you know, before as a Christian, I was raised Roman Catholic and was really disillusioned as a lot of people kind of my age, my generation were disillusioned 
with Catholicism and kind of that age, a lot of us were looking into Eastern mysticism, you know. We thought, well, the East must have the answers. And so uh, many of us became open to different gurus, Maharishi Yogi and Sai Baba and, you know, different gurus like that. And I was telling the first service that, do you know that the gurus, they all speak of Jesus. But Jesus never spoke of them. The reason they speak of Jesus is because they're envious. They all want to be him. They they all want to act like they're like him. I'll, I'll tell you, it's a narrow gate. It's a narrow way. It's, it's not the broad way. All roads lead to God, people will say. Or some will say this. There are elements of truth in all religions. You know, all religions have good things. You know, the Muslims and the, the Mormons and the, you know, this group and that group. And, you know, they all have good things. You know, we could all, we could glean. You know, hey, have you heard this one? Chew the meat and spit out the bones. Let, let me tell you, if you're chewing the wrong meat, you're going to choke on the bones. So don't, don't, don't even chew on the meat. The, 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 you know, the, these false teachings. But they would say the only thing that matters is that we are sincere in our pursuit of God. Or how about this one? There are no absolutes. What's true for you may or may not be true for me. Or how about this one? It doesn't really matter anyway. It matters. The fact of the matter is all roads do lead to God for judgment. But not all roads lead to God for salvation. See, maybe if you're visiting, maybe you're listening online, and you're saying, oh, that's what I hate about Christians. I hate that narrow, that limita- you know, limited view and everything. I, I just, that's what I hate about Christians. And, and you know, that's what the world hates about Christians. They're going to rejoice when we're gone, by the way. They're going to really rejoice when we're gone. But why would we have a narrow view towards salvation? Because... Jesus tells us we need to have a narrow view about salvation, about the way. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He doesn't say, there are many doors of the sheep. Pick one. It doesn't matter. No, he says, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I mentioned these gurus. You know what's interesting? Just give it time. Give it time. These God men, as they like to see themselves, they're all perverts. Just give it time. You know, Sai Baba was really big to the rich and famous. Tracy and I, when we were first married, we lived in Santa Barbara, and I would go in to literal, literal mansions. You know, in Santa Barbara, everyone who has wealth has a place in Santa Barbara, or Montecito. You hear Montecito. Well, that's Santa Barbara. That's the same. And, um, and so we would go into these, you know, 
multi-million dollar, you know, and this is going back 40 years, so who knows what they would be today, uh, homes. And it was not uncommon for me to go into a home and to go into a room that was dedicated to Sai Baba. And there would be this, you know, Indian with this afro, with his little, you know, red uh, sari, and, and he's there taking pictures with the rich and the famous of these people. Sai Baba, one of the Calvary pastors, was the right-hand disciple of Sai Baba from the West. You know, he had those that were from the East, and then he had those from the West. And uh, he was convinced that this was God. This was God in the flesh. And it came out, and now if you Google Sai Baba, you know what you'll find? He was a molester. He molested children and men and women. He was just a pervert. He just molested people. These people, they pretend to be something that they're not. It's sad that people would still want to follow such things. It really is. The Krishnas. I remember going to the Krishna temple in Pacific Beach. The Krishna. Google them. Do you know the stories that are coming out of Krishnas? Children were not raised with their parents in Krishna. They were raised in, in like boarding homes. And the majority of those children were molested. And you say, oh, don't pick on them. Yeah, Listen, Christianity has its own uh, areas of that as well. It's perverse. When anyone ever tries to put themselves up as being something that they're not, don't believe that someone is, you know, some great, you know, they've reached some level of uh, holiness that others. It's a lie. It is such a lie. We're all... We all have clay feet. <laughs> we all live in these bodies. We, all, we ha- all have the fallen nature, but we have the spirit of the living God living within us. So we don't have to be slaves any longer to sin. But I'm telling you, none of us have arrived. We will arrive one day when we're in his presence. Jesus said, you guys all know this one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I don't like that. It's too narrow. We'll take it up with him. He said it. I didn't say it. He said it. I believe it. But he's the one who said it. The way, the truth, and the life, which is Christ, is not closed to you, though you may be closed to him. See, bottom line, that's going to be the most difficult thing for those who reject Christ in this life, because one day they will stand before the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment of Christ. And the Bible says that books will be open. So apparently there will be books that will be open, maybe books of good works and books of good intentions and that type of thing. And these books will be open and they'll go through the books. And, you know, the non-believer could say, well, you know, I'm a generous person and I did this and I did that. Say, okay, yes, yes, we have that recorded right here. Okay, we've got it down. Listen, we, we take thorough uh, records of everything. It's all down. And then the book of life will be open. Mm. Is there a problem? Yes. You're not in the book that counts. The book that counts? Yes, the book of life. Your name's not written in the book of life. To stand before the Lord and to say, but 
you know, I was good, and, and I, you know, I wanted to do it my way, and I, you know, you know I thought I could kind of make my way through, and, and, and Jesus will say, listen, the invitation was open to you. I wasn't closed off. There's no one who's ever asked me for salvation, and I said, no, not you. There's no one who's ever knocked at the door of life, and I said, no, you can't enter. Those who are outside are those who have rejected the way, the truth, and the life, and that's something that needs to be considered. The Broadway is the way of destruction. The Broadway is the easy way. And that's what people like about it. It's the easy way. And this is why churches are, are adapting to this because they know that people are not well fed in the word of God. And people don't like certain things. Believe me, I have pastored the same church for almost 35 years. I've watched the changes in people. I've watched people, the people that get the most angry at me is when you point out in scripture that a belief that they're holding to is wrong. And they just, they take it personally. It's like, who are you to say, I'm not saying anything. I'm just simply saying, this is what the word of God says. This is what the word of God says. So you want to go on this broad road. You want to go on the road to destruction. You want to be like, you know, Frank Sinatra when it's all said and done. You know, I did it my way. But the fact of the matter is it's the wrong way. Guys, keep your hand here in Luke and, and turn, I'm sorry, in Matthew and turn back to Luke. Luke chapter 13. Now, I'm going to read in Luke chapter 13. And you're going to see this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, or this part of the Sermon on the Mount. So you're going to see how he kind of blends what we're reading about the narrow way, but then he kind of goes in, and and then it will lead into a text that we're going to be looking at next week. But in Luke chapter 13, and verse 24, Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek, look it, will seek to enter and will not be able say, what? I thought you just said it's open to everyone. Well, listen, he gives clarity to this. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. See, now is the time of salvation. This is the age of grace. But that door is going to be shut. And you need to understand that. He says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will say to you, he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You know, we went to ch- I went to church with my wife. I went to church with my parents. They drug me there every week. That has to count for something, you know. He says, then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be, listen to this, guys. This, this, is, not, this is not just, you know, phrases. These are not just words. This is a description. He says, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. 
And they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening right now all over the world. People are being saved from Islamic countries daily, it seems like. God is pouring out his grace on people that were raised in Islam. And yet they're seeing and they're hearing about Jesus and they're turning to the, to the one, to the way, the truth, and the life. It's happening. And then it goes, and, and it says, verse 30, and indeed, there are, uh, let's see, indeed, there are last, it's like I'm reading this wrong, who will be first, and there are first who will be last. That's how he phrased it. You can turn back to Matthew. You know what's wonderful, guys? You know what's so cool about this? Now, some of the Christians that have been, you know, we're kind of trudging along. We've been doing this for decades and everything, you know. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the workers or the landowner? This reminds me so much of, you know, I grew up in Southern California. And in Southern California, you have day laborers. So you'll see guys, most of them, you know, are people, you know, illegals, you know, is that a racist thing to say? Anyway, I don't know what to say anymore. But anyway, you know, we, um, and they'll just keep be on the on a street corner. And so if you need, like, some work, you pull up and you say, I need three of you, I need two of you. They jump in the truck, jump in the car, you take them to your house or take them to the job site, and it's a day labor. And so I always think of them. Whenever I see the day laborers out there, man, they're out there, they're trying to get money, you know. But Jesus gives this illustration. He's looking for day laborers. He says, I'm going to pay you such and such for a wage. Sounds good. Good wage. Sounds good. So you have in this parable, remember, you have those who kind of start at the beginning of the day. And then as the day goes on, others are being hired on. And then at the end of the day, I mean, like there's like some people that are being hired on for maybe like the last hour. And then the landowner says, okay, it's time to pay up. And so he starts paying from the ones who came last. And he pays them the amount that was promised to those who worked all day. And remember the ones that were working all day? They're they're probably rubbing their hands together and saying, man, if they're getting this much, I'm probably getting four times that amount. But they got the same amount. And remember the landowner said, have I been unfair to you? I told you this would be your wage. I'm not cheating you. I've been honest with you. The beautiful thing about that parable is, listen, you can say, man, I've been dragging my feet. I've been sowing my wild oats. I've been dragging it down to them, you know, and, and yet you come in. You come in. You knock at the door of life, and Jesus says, come on in. You ask, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I, I want to be saved. I, I need to be saved, and you do it today. And the rapture happens tonight. And you put in a few hours. And when you stand before the Lord, you're not a second class, third class citizen. You're not down the line. You're standing there in the presence of the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't drag your feet. Don't sow your wild oats because we don't know when the master is going to come and shut the door. So don't be a fool about this. But I'm telling you, we're that close. Open your heart to the Lord. Ask him, you know, to, to forgive you of your sins. And he will, he will, he will. Well, anyway, let me get through this. Boy, I, this takes so much time, but I just love doing it. 
Um, I know it's your time, not my time. Last bit, beware of false teachers or false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Can you picture that? Of course we can picture it. We've all seen illustrations of that. The wolf with the fleece over over his head, over his body. And you see those skinny little legs, you know, underneath the fleece. That's what Jesus is saying. They pretend to be one thing, but they're not. They're another thing. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. And a bad tree bears bad fruit. See, so you can say, hey, look, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I'm one of his. I'm a Christian. Hey, don't judge my heart. Jesus says, don't judge their heart. You can't judge their heart. Judge their fruit. Because there is going to be fruit that comes from their life if they're truly mine. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. I wish, I wish that I could say, yeah, you know, this is a problem. Those false teachers, they're all on the outside. Those gurus and, and you know, those cults and all of that, they're all on the outside. They're not on the outside. They're on the inside. And when Jesus spoke these words, he was not speaking of those on the outside. He was speaking of those on the inside. And this is why it's so dangerous. This is why we need to be so careful. This is why we need to know the word of God. So that we're not fooled by the deception of those who pretend to be something that they're not. We need to be so careful of this. Guys, false prophets, false teachers have always been a plague to the church. But I think that this generation of the church has been more open, more in love with, false teachers and false prophets than any other church generation. But again, it doesn't surprise me because I was told this, we were told this before it's happened. You know, guys, listen to me, please. Some of you, 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 you might act like, oh, you're so arrogant about things. I'm not arrogant. It's like I've, you know, it's like I've got this, I'm like in a, a, a watchtower, maybe a, a you know, a, um, a forest ranger. I wanted to be a forest ranger when I was, a teenager, but I'm like in the tower and I'm looking out, you know, and I have my little manual and I know what to watch for. And I'm just simply watching. I'm just simply saying. And, and Paul says, he says, for a time will come. And I suggest to you that that time has come. He says, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who, non-believers? No, non-believers don't <laughs> endure sound doctrine anyway. Those who profess to be Christians. It says, but according to their own desires. See, tell me what I want to hear. I'm out of time. I know I'm out of time. But I got to tell you, as a pastor of a church for almost 35 years in the same little town, I've watched. I've watched as people would attend here, and then they would run over to this church, and oh, I could name them, boy, I could name them, and I know the pastors, 
I used to know the pastors because no one has stayed as long as I've stayed. They've all left, you know. I don't know why I stay. I know why I stay, because this is my calling. But they run over here because this is a new thing they're doing. And now they're over here, and this is a new thing that they're doing. And over here, and this is a new thing that I'm doing. And the, the problem is, is that there's always a new thing. So the pastor or the church that's trying to appeal to the people based upon the new thing are left in the dust when it comes to the truth of God's word. We need women pastors. That's the new thing. Let's do that. Do it. We need a congregational rule. You know, we don't want people, we don't want pastors, you know, we got to watch these pastors because, you know, pastors, they could get out of control if you don't keep them on a short leash. So we want to have a congregational ruling type of thing. I call for a business meeting. Here, here, second thought. And you have these types of things that are coming. But I'm telling you, the word of God does not change. The word of God remains the same. The word of God is eternal. So here is what I've seen. Everyone's leaving. This is what I've seen. (laughs) This is what I've seen. That you just simply stay faithful to the word of God. And eventually, the word of God will become popular again. And then people will act like, oh, wow, this is so unique. Oh, the, so you teach through the Bible. Yes, how long have you been doing this? Since we began. It's what we've always done. Really? I can't tell you how many of you have, that have come, and we are so glad that you've come here, and we hope that you stay, but we just kind of know the nature of things, you know. But those of you that have come because of COVID, and, and I mentioned to the first service, I said we were kind of like the homely boy, you know, who couldn't get a date and, uh, and, until, you know, everyone else was t- taken. And then, uh, you know, there was a knock on the door, you know, well, they're open. <laughs> we, might, we might as well go there. We haven't known, we don't know where to put Calvary Chapel because they teach the word like the Baptists used to teach the word. But they believe in the gifts, so are they charismatic? And we don't, I don't know, I heard they swing on chandeliers over there. And people don't know where to put us in the mix. But fortunately, you guys have come and you said, you know what, they're not as strange as we thought they were. (laughs) I hope that what you say is, you know what, they honor and they love the word and the Lord of the word. I mean, that's it. So that whenever, wherever you go from here, that becomes your, you know, your standard now. It's not what's new, what's fresh, what's happening, what, you know, all the people, new building, this, that, or the other. But do they love the word of God and the Lord of the word? If they do, I I could probably find a home there. The false teachers. But according to their own desires, you guys come on up. Because of itching ears, they heap up for themselves teachers, and they will... And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I've been a part of a movement. We're not a denomination, but a movement of churches for over 40 years, 40 plus years. 
And I'll be honest, I used to take pride in the fact that we were a movement, Calvary Chapel, we were the ones teaching the Word of God. I used to take pride in that. We used to have all these kind of silly slogans, you know. The Word of God, teach it, and they will come. Well, I would teach it, and people would leave, you know. Maybe it's me, you know. I think it is, to be honest. But it's sad because even within our own movement, we've seen this split. We've seen this change. We see the woke pastors and we see those of us. And it seems like there's a smaller group of us that are just simply saying, let's just keep doing what we've been doing all along. It's not about us. It's not about, it's not about us. It's about him. And, and, and we're just kind of doing that. And, and it's been sad. You know, it really has. I... I uh, I have pastor friends that are part of this movement, Calvary Chapel, that I don't, we don't even speak. That I've known for decades. It's because they feel like I've departed. And I haven't departed. I said, I've just stayed the course. You've departed. And it's sad. I want to finish with this. I hope that you're reading the whole counsel of the Word of God. I hope you're reading in the Old Testament. I hope you're spending time in Isaiah and Jeremiah. I hope you do, because you know what, guys? When you're in the New Testament, you're going to see how the New Testament so often quotes from the prophets. Again, it's confirming our faith. You say, I read this someplace before, and then you go back and you say, that's where I read it. But this is what the Lord said, wrote, In Jeremiah chapter 23, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. He makes makes this reference to it being his, my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them before... Behold, he says, behold, I will attend to you for evil, for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. He says, you haven't attended to them in a good way. You haven't taught them the word as you're supposed to teach them the word. The same chapter in verse 16, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, who make you worthless. Now, of course, this was in... Israel. But he says, this is what the false prophets are doing. False prophets, false teachers, they're making you worthless. The people who are listening to them. They speak a vision of their own heart. You know, I had a dream, I had a dream, I had a dream. Says they speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say, listen, they continually say to those who despise me, This is what they're saying to those who despise them. And this is what's happening in churches today. The Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I declare to you, evil will come upon you. If you reject 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you reject the way, the truth, and the life, if you reject Jesus the Messiah, he is the only way. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Time is running out. You could scoff, but you'll just be fulfilling Bible prophecy. You know that. Because Peter tells us that scoffers will come in the last days. The scoffers aren't those on the outside. Scoffers are those on the inside. Inside the church. You could scoff, but you'll just be fulfilling Bible prophecy. But here's the thing. And the Lord knows. The Lord's my witness. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry for keeping you so long. We're going to have to cut this song short. Okay. Okay. All right. So, but... I don't want, it's not like this pride thing to where, because I don't think when we're in heaven, you know, anyone's going to come up and say, I guess you're right. You you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be anything about us. It's going to be about him, and we're going to be so enamored with him. So it's not like, you know, I want to be proven right or something. But here's the thing. I, I feel like, we're the last generation, and I feel like we need to do our due diligence, and we need to be warning people, and we need to be encouraging people. Because, see, it's not just a warning of woe. It's not, listen, hell on earth is coming, so you want to escape. It's, it's, not, it's not that bleak. It's, listen, we're sinners. We're all sinners, each and every one of us. We're all on the road to hell. Who, ACDC, I don't know who sang that song, you know, but, but um, highway to hell, whatever, you know, we're all on the same highway before coming to Christ, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he gives us his spirit, who right now, by the way, is restraining evil in the world. You say, we are? The Holy Spirit in us is restraining until he is removed. And the Lord's not going to take his Holy Spirit from us and leave us without his Holy Spirit during the worst time of human history. He's going to take the church with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit of God is not limited. The Holy Spirit has always been around. The Holy Spirit was there at creation. The Holy Spirit was there in the Old Testament, guys. Read it, read it, read it. He was not given in the same way as he was on the day of Pentecost, but he was present. He filled Saul, the king. He filled David. When David said, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, he wasn't just, it wasn't like these words. It was something that he saw, it was a reality. He saw it happen to Saul. I don't believe that could happen to us as Christians. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of salvation, redemption. You know, the Holy Spirit, he's like an engagement ring. We're the bride of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is like the promise. He's, he, it's the Lord saying, I love you. And I vow my love to you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will be back. Not so I could be where you are, but so you can be where I am. So let's get excited about it. Huh? Let's go. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, let's stand up. Okay. <laughs> where are we going? Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray that we take these things to heart. And Lord, we pray if there's any doubt that we would get along with you and call out to you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Give us opportunity this week to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the wonderful, wonderful news of salvation. Thank you, Lord.